Please note that the views and opinions talked about in this episode are those of the host and the guest and are not intended to malign, judge, or be disrespectful in any way or form. This podcast is for educational purposes regarding the military community and the services that are out there, with sometimes, of course, a little laughter and fun along the way, with sometimes a twist of true crime. Enjoy! Hey there, my name is Leanne and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Crime with a Military Wife, a podcast where I share my interests in true crime and also share my life as a military spouse and talk to other individuals from the military community and the pros and cons of the lifestyle. On this episode, I had the lovely opportunity to speak with Alicia who is the owner and operator of Pearls of Wisdom Counseling, where she offers confidential mental health counseling and support to people of all ages within the Fredericton area here in New Brunswick, Canada. She specializes in anxiety, depression, general worry, stress, low self-worth, lack of self-confidence, shame, grief, parenting, bullying, a child in your care that needs support and emotional regulation. Seeking help can be sometimes scary, and she believes that great change can come from a strong therapeutic alliance, and her goal is to create an environment in which you feel comfortable and safe to allow her to build trust and a connection with you. Alicia gives herself the opportunity to support youth, couples, and families, which are available in person or on videos, in some circumstances. This is something that you would have to discuss with her to determine what would be a best fit for you to start building rapport. Individual counseling is for those aged 18 plus and is available both in person and virtually. She provides general psychotherapy, which is a combination of a variety of approaches in order to provide the best fit for her clients. I will also be providing a link to her website in the show notes. Now, I will be honest, the quality of the audio is not great in this episode, but it's the best that I could do with what I had the day of recording. Audio quality will get better, but I'm just starting out, so please be understanding of that. Regardless, this is still a great episode with great information that deserves to be heard. I'm a huge advocate for therapy, And the fact that Alicia is local is just even more wonderful. So without further ado, thank you for your patience and still giving this episode a listen. And here we go. Seeking help can be sometimes scary, and she believes that great change can come from a strong therapeutic alliance, and her goal is to create an environment in which you feel comfortable and safe to allow her to build trust and a connection with you. Alicia gives herself the opportunity to support youth, couples, and families, which are available in person or on videos in some circumstances. This is something that you would have to discuss with her to determine what would be a best fit for you to start building rapport. Individual counseling is for those aged 18 plus and is available both in person and virtually. 
She provides general psychotherapy, which is a combination of a variety of approaches in order to provide the best fit for her clients. I will also be providing a link to her website in the show notes. Now, I will be honest, the quality of the audio is not great in this episode, but it's the best that I could do with what I had the day of recording. Audio quality will get better, but I'm just starting out, so please be understanding of that. Regardless, this is still a great episode with great information that deserves to be heard. I'm a huge advocate for therapy, and the fact that Alicia is local is just even more wonderful. So without further ado, thank you for your patience and still giving this episode a listen. And here we go. So can you tell us a bit about yourself, your practice, and where you're from? Yeah, I'm right in, I'm right in Fredericton. Um, so I grew up in Ormocto and then didn't move too far, didn't move too far away. Yeah. What made you want to be in, in uh, counseling? So when I was in my undergrad, I started working at the provincial... Uh, crisis hotline. It's called Chimo here in oh, New Brunswick. Oh, yes, yeah. I was going to do that, but I was like, mm, I don't know. I wasn't sure. <laughs> so I really liked my time there. It, I learned a lot about trauma and crisis. And um, there are also some people that called not necessarily in crisis, but because they needed to like chat or whatever else and so long as like we weren't busy with crisis like that was totally fine so I learned some of like remembering people's stories and like getting to hear more about people over time kind of through that but I was really finding myself bothered by the people that I did only ever got like get to talk to once or maybe sometimes twice yeah and just like I gave them the resources, I was able to listen to them in the moment, but then never finding out what happened next, or finding out if they were okay, or if they got better, so to speak. Yeah, you need um, to have, like, a follow-up. There's no follow-up, and no closure yes. a lot of the time, Yeah, and in some, some of the situations that were, like, a little bit more intense, um that was really weighing on me a lot. And so I wanted to be part of kind of like the system where it hopefully helps people, at least some people from getting to that point of needing that crisis call and needing kind of the immediate, this is kind of the big blow up uh, and getting to know what happens to them mm. after of like, even if they have are having, a more intense period of uh, kind of stuff coming up for them that there's already somebody there for them and that can kind of see them through to the other side. Exactly. And be there with them. Yeah. At the end, was it kind of like um 911 dispatch crisis thing? The chemo helpline? Um, we never went to people. So there's, there's something called mobile crisis here. Uh, and they would go to people if yeah. if needed. That was more so, social workers. Um, 
I don't think it was EMTs. It was social workers and some other type of professional. I don't remember what it was now. It's still, I think they're still in operation today. Um, but we were more like, if people were, were kind of like really ruminating or like worried through their thoughts um, or just needed resources in general, like if they were uncertain about, like we'd get a lot of parents saying like, this is what's going on with my kid. I have absolutely no idea how to handle it. Like, it's not like a the world is ending, someone's going to die crisis. Mm -hmm. But, like, to them, like, it's a crisis that there's this thing going on with their kid and they have no avenue, no idea where to start looking for help. Yeah. And so that's what we were a lot of the time was we had these, like, huge resource trees of, okay, this is the section, this is where you go try these avenues if they don't work call us back and we can help you find something else like it was it's an avenue to help people start to look in the right direction for people that actually can help them long term okay is it um canada wide uh chemo is just new brunswick but i believe most provinces do have a crisis helpline I know Ontario does. I know Quebec does. Hmm. Or at least they did seven years ago when I worked at Chimo. Yeah. Um, I think Nova Scotia does, or Nova Scotia PEI might even be like one okay. line together. Yeah, I was going to do it, but I just wasn't too keen of the shift work aspect because I had already done like shift work and group home, and I was like, eh. I don't know if I want to do shift work, like, on the phone, but at least you were, you're, like, home, I guess, doing it, right? Like, you didn't go in the office, like, you, you were doing it, uh, at your house, in your house? No, it was in an office. Oh, really? From my my understanding, now people are at home, um, and that changed with COVID. Yes. But when I was, when I was there, I would have left in 2018 when I had my son. Yeah. Um, we were all still in an office. Really? Huh. Yeah, I think when I was looking at, at it was, uh, at home. So maybe I didn't know, yeah. Didn't know that was a thing. At home, at home would have been nice, because I, when I started, I did, uh, overnight shifts. So, midnight oh. to 8 a.m. Yeah. And, uh, That'd be rough. that was, that was, it was tiring. It was school, Monday to Friday. Friday, Saturday, overnight. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's rough. I'm sure you were, like, exhausted. Yeah. And then I had made I made the hard decision not to go back after my son. Um, I was just like, I'll never sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Individual counseling sessions that you do? So I do offer couples and family sessions as well. Okay. Um, and I say couple, but it can also be relationship. Uh, right. So, like, parents... Um, child, or if you just don't identify as a couple, um, or polyamorous relationships, um, and then family counseling is, um, and this is, this is what kind of confuses people a little bit. It's like, if you want to come in and discuss your family, like that's totally fine. That's still individual counseling. Uh, family counseling is more so like when I will see like each member of the family still individual or sometimes you're all together, but it's more about like the you're wanting me to make connections and, like, watch all of your interactions and, like, mm. 
be pay like, more attention to like how all of the things you guys differently are telling me are actually all interrelated. Okay. I have no issue seeing people with PTSD, um, intimate partner violence, as long as it's individual. I will not do, and it's not ethically recommended to do any couples counseling when there's known domestic violence, because um, then we're just kind of perpetrating and, and somewhat like encouraging violence. Like that needs to it needs to stop. There needs to be some sort of of break. Um, with kind of people doing their own healing before we're like actively working on trying to bring people back together in a, mm. in a domestic violence situation. But in terms of individual counseling, be it the, um, the victim or the perpetrator, if either feels like they need counseling, that's certainly something that I'm open to. So you would say that you would have to be the mediator. That's kind of what family, yeah, what family counseling will be. A lot sometimes when people talk about family counseling too, it's like in relation to like court of like how is all this? I've, I've never done anything like that. I probably will in the future once I have like a few years under my belt. But mm-hmm. it's like the ideas of like how are you all relating? What is it that maybe like this person seeing and this person seeing and like hey, exactly, like, being mediated, like, this is where you guys are, like, missing the mark. Yeah. Have you done a lot of the family counseling piece, either individual family members or in a group setting so far? I haven't done much of it so far. Uh, In my practicum, I did, like, a a very small subset of it with, um, like, two, you, you know, like, two and a half people, because one of the people I only saw once um but it was really interesting to kind of see how different people's perceptions of the same interaction are yeah I can see that be kind of tricky finding a happy middle as opposed to labeling somebody as right and somebody is wrong be having headaches I'm sure sometimes but like okay this person said this and have to compile everything together and you have to catch yourself sometimes as well because you will find yourself kind of naturally gravitating towards either specific personalities or maybe just the way they tell the story or there's something in their story that resonates with you and it almost becomes like that's the person that you want to believe that's the person that like either you like their version of the story best or whatever, and and having to be very conscious. Do you find it can be heavy work at times? It definitely can be. Mm -hmm. Uh, A big part of our training is learning to kind of be aware of your own triggers and your own, um, so if you've heard of like transference and counter-transference, of being, being aware of your own, like when you're being affected and how to kind of regulate yourself so that you're not bringing the weight of everybody's issues with you. So just a quick note here um, regarding transference and counter-transference. This is something that we see a lot in counseling, social work, the social services field when dealing with other people. So I'm going to tell you the difference between the two. So transference is the redirection of feelings about a specific person onto someone else, for example, in therapy, which is the topic of this episode. Um, This refers to a client's projection of their feelings about someone else that they bring onto the therapy. 
therapist. So for example, if in therapy they're talking about their mother, their father, brother, sister, their partner, they can transfer those feelings onto the therapist, which can kind of make for a conflict situation, can be kind of awkward, um, can also be kind of frustrating to deal with, but it's never their fault. Trauma can be a very complex thing. In contrast, countertransference is the redirection of a therapist feelings towards the client. So that's the opposite. Um, that's why it's important to check in, um, be aware of your own feelings as a social worker, social service worker, nonprofit worker, therapist, anyone in this type of field that does help the vulnerable population, you always have to do check-ins with yourself and not transfer those feelings from your own trauma as the professional onto the therapist. Can't actually know their reality. We can't actually know what happened, how people perceive events, even if different are totally valid. It's kind of interesting because at work dealing with youth and they're having their own traumas um well being in the system whatever they say it's like that's their truth we can't be like no you haven't gone through that no one said that you know try to distort their reality so i can see it be kind of like kind of tricky so it's like if someone's coming to you i'm sure listening is a big part of it big part yeah. of it just kind of listen see where they're coming from i would say too in terms of the listening piece they say that like up to 80 percent of like client change is just due to like the therapeutic relationship like the connection that the like the therapist and client are able to make and just in having that bond and being able to just have the discourse itself is like the majority of kind of like what's able to affect the change and I think that's kind of cool yeah and I can see that and I'm sure um most of these people they never had someone to listen to them or you know they had someone interrupt them or be condescending or whatever and not having them explain uh, give them the opportunity to explain to them their truth or whatever. So, yeah, I can see they're just like, oh, my God, you actually listen and just let me vent and thank you so much. And that'd be so rewarding. Do specific um, amounts of sessions? Like, is it only like eight maximum or is it however many they need throughout their healing journey? However many they need. Um, and there are some people that I'm working with specifically because I know how many sessions their insurance will allow them to have, mm -hmm. um, like how many sessions their insurance will pay for over the course of a year. Right. Um, and that beyond that, they don't necessarily have the financial means to, to pay for counseling. And so there's also like working within that constraint of like, they could have as many as they wanted, yep. but realistically, this is how many we have, and we're going to make the most of it. Be considered as like a private counselor, that they have to go through insurance, or can they pay for it out of pocket as well? So, in New Brunswick, no licensed counselors or psychotherapists can direct bill to insurance. 
Um, so everybody has to pay out of pocket, and then we give them a receipt, and then they um, file the claim, submit back. Yes, okay. I should correct. Actually, Blue Cross, Blue Cross now, if you apply, they are starting to let some do it, but the rest do not. Okay. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. I never, yeah. I never paid for counseling, so I don't know how it works. So they would refer themselves or have a referral to you, pay out of pocket, you get a, give them a receipt, and then they would open a claim, basically, or for a reimbursement or whatever through the, uh, the company. Okay. Exactly, yeah. Huh. And what are your prices usually? So I have the price of individual sessions, kind of like person of any age, is 125 plus tax. The couple's counseling is 150 plus tax. And then the family sessions start at 165 plus tax. And those kind of like jumps are all based in like how much work it takes to like integrate the extra like extra information and extra sources of like how everything fits together right and so if you have like a like with the family counseling if you have a fairly basic family structure then you don't necessarily need much more than that like if we're just dealing with like four people kind of like nuclear family for family counseling yeah as opposed to then if you get into like maybe where this there's a split and then both um, parents have found new partners and there's like step or half siblings or whatever kind of mixed in there. Um, kind of the more complicated it gets, kind mm -hmm. of the more that would go up and that would obviously be all like discussed um, yeah. ahead of time and, and with the family and everything. But that's kind of the, the base of it. Okay. And there are the uh, hour, hour sessions? 50 minute sessions. 50. Okay. Hmm. Do you find the... And I should say... Oh, sorry. Um, do you find the first session is, like, rapport building and just getting to know them? The first one, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's even less... The, the first session sometimes is not even as much rapport building of, like, you definitely try, but it's also a lot of just, like, information gathering. It's kind yes. of the time that people are just, like they almost get a little bit caught up in their story of, like, here is the word vomit of, like, everything that has happened. And maybe that's not a good term because, yeah, like, they are absolutely... They're, they're totally justified in, like, saying everything they want to say, but it, it's... Um, they can kind of get into, like, this feeling of just, like, there's... Oh, I'm actually getting to talk. There's more and more and more coming out. So there's not yeah. necessarily a lot of, like, rapport building back and forth. Um but there's a lot of, like, listening, and they get to feel heard, and that, that'll help, too, but it's definitely kind of, like, in the sessions after that of you get a little bit more discourse, you get a little bit more, like, um, seeing how you actually work together. Yeah, exactly. Have you met with people, and they decided, or you decided, that it's not a good fit, and you suggest that they go see someone else, or... I hear that can happen sometimes with counseling. Yeah, it can. Um, in my practicum, it it did end up happening that there was one woman that we had taken a break from seeing each other just from where um, 
like the therapy had kind of stalled. And so it was like, okay, maybe this isn't necessarily where we want to be right now. Um, let's agree to kind of take a break. Um, and then she decided when she was kind of ready to come back from her break, she was like, maybe I try with a different person and maybe that's kind of like what the missing piece would be. And it was like, yeah, absolutely. If that's kind of what you're, what you're feeling. Um, I think a lot of people sometimes think that counselors will take it personally if they want to go see somebody else or they want to try, um, something different. And at least for me, like that's definitely not the case. Like if you feel like you might be better served by somebody else. Like, there are a lot of counselors. We all do things differently. We all come from a different perspective, different backgrounds. Um, there's absolutely no no issue, no ill feelings in just saying, like, hey, I don't think this is working out. Mm, that's true. I'm always scared that was going to happen with my counselors, but luckily it was a good fit. The last one I've had was a couple years ago, and he was a man, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll try, and uh, it was great. I'm a big uh, advocate for therapy, <laughs> especially if they can be like, like, no one's going to interrupt you. No one's going to be like, yeah, but, or like, try to contradict what you're saying, or like, they're just there to listen, and they're supposed to be, um non-judgmental and just let you kind of word vomit it's okay and that's like a safe environment when talking to my friends or family members and they're having a hard time it's been years and they're just really struggling still and i'm just like i've been to therapy <laughs> it would be really <laughs> beneficial like uh i'm still trying to convince my family members to go but some i think do you find there's like stigma still around therapy like I find too and they're like therapy no I don't need that I don't need someone to talk about my problems and blah 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 I'm fine and it's frustrating it's still that a lot of it people I think people see it instead of like this is a way to improve my quality of life, a lot of people are st like still seeing it as like, it means I have something wrong with me. Yes, yeah, yeah. I know, and like how, how do you change that? Like, I don't know. I think it's coming with time, kind of the more people are starting to be open about their mental health and how it affects them and how talking about it and go and and people being vocal about going to therapy and the different things they've been able to do will it slowly over time at least for some people make it better you'll, you'll never have you'll never get to everybody saying that, that therapy is a good thing and there are a lot of people who just in terms of like trust issues and confidence in talking to uh strange people or mm. strangers We'll never quite get there, but I'm hopeful that for, like, a larger population, now that it is becoming kind of more of a mainstream accepted thing, that just more presence equals more acceptance. Mm. I was told recently by one of my family members and that they think that what they've gone through from their past 
when they were kids that it can never be fixed. Or, you know, if I was to go to therapy, like, it's not going to help. And I'm like, and they've never been. So it's like, well, how do you know if you never tried? Like, it's just, it's just talking, you know? And But it's, it's a, it can be a lot. Because, yeah, you're talking to strangers. You're um, airing out all of these issues that I may have never talked about with anyone which could mean traumatic and you're being super vulnerable and people don't like that for the most part yeah. they're like ew gross feelings no <laughs> don't want don't need that <laughs> what's feelings but um yeah it's super it's super interesting how people think and I find in my experience um the older generation they're like nope don't need that um, I'm fine. You know, I'm just gonna self-medicate or shove it down. It's fine. You know, it's super, uh, super interesting. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is they honestly aren't getting as much of the messaging because the older people aren't necessarily on the social, on social media or like watching as much of the like more programming that has like more acceptance like mm. to be like a little bit ageist they they are kind of more watching like their news and like yeah that's what i was just gonna say like and yeah. it's like okay we need to consume the things that people where people are telling you that it's okay to get any of that messaging exactly uh, that's what yeah that's what i was thinking people just watch their five o'clock news and it's all, like, negative and everything in the world. And it's, like, that's not going to give you what you need information-based-wise. It's it's depressing, if anything. Like, oh, so-and-so is happening in the world. And it's, like, oh, God. Which is fine if you want to be up-to-date with the news and what's going on in the world. But where where is your individualized, like, self-care? You know, how's... How's that? Where's that coming from? And are you working on yourself? And it's it's a lot. It's a lot of work. And um, I find you have to be ready. You have to be ready, which I find is a big thing. Um, yeah, if they're not ready, then it's not going to be effective, I find. It's exactly. A big, it's a big thing. Yeah. And, like, you can want it and not be ready, and then that that um, especially can be, like, a trauma response. And so it can take a very long time of, like, continuing to go to therapy and, like, feeling like you want it, but you're there's still, like, some sort of, like, Wall. mental block, right? Yeah. And eventually that can get, like, slowly chipped away a little bit and a little bit uh, until you're kind of able to get the gates to open mm-hmm. um comes with time but and that's trust but being willing to, to go in the first place too though right so kind of different population mm, exactly. as well do you only do in person or do you do phone and video as well i'll do video for adults okay uh, children are hard enough to have answer you and maintain focus in person yeah um, at least for, 
for myself, I, I don't think that trying to have a, a kid do therapy over the computer is necessarily the most effective way to do things. Yeah, um, so I've fair. just chosen kind of not to go through that. And I know that's for some people, that's their only option. And for some people, they're like strictly virtual practitioners. And if it works for them and they're able to find kind of like a system that works for them, then that, that's great. Um, just for kind of where I am right now, I don't think that that's necessarily mm, that's like the best avenue to focus. Same as with like, I don't do any couple work over the computer either. Like I'd like to be able to have them in the room because there's so much you learn from body language. Yeah. Um, not just with couples, but in general with individual sessions too. Um, like a lot of stuff that you just don't get to see when you're having like a, a Zoom session and especially that you don't see at all when you're on the phone. Mm, um, so yeah. I actually, I don't do phone sessions at all. I find it's just too hard for people to stay connected. It takes a very specific type of personality to be able to be vulnerable and open up for therapy on the phone. Yeah. Because you're, you're missing those disconnects of... Um, it's less of a commitment and there's less, um, stimuli around you kind of prompting you of like, this is a safe space. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to be doing. If it's just kind of like another phone call in your day, mm. um, I don't find it necessarily puts people into the right or the same headspace. Um, yeah, and then I feel sense. weird. Yeah. And they could be distracted, like doing laundry or you know, doing dishes or something, but not being 100% engaged in the conversation as well, or distractions too in the home, and in person, yeah. it's like they're there in that setting. Um, do you have your office set up, like, very, like, when I picture a therapist setting, I picture couches and a Kleenex box and a table and very kind of, like, therapeutic session or do you have a very like chill and informal kind of thing how do you like to set up your your office I tried to have it like a combination of those two if that makes sense it's yeah. like I have a love seat and I have kind of like a bigger um like it's like a matching single chair um, and so as you've surely noticed, as we've spoken now, I am absolutely awful at keeping still. Um, so I will be in my, in the, um, chair, um, and then I'll sit, like, I'll, sometimes I'll sit, especially in, like, the, the first time meeting somebody, I very much try and sit kind of, like, a little bit more formal, clinical, like, I'm sitting here, like, nicely across from you, you're over there. Yeah. Um, but I do also sit, like, in comfortable positions. Like, I, I want to be comfortable with them so that they're comfortable with me. Um, with kids, I just recently got a table, and so I put a table out so that we could, like, color and stuff. Mm, um, but there's no, like, coffee table between us. It's yeah. just kind of like the couch um, and the chair. And, yes, there are, <laughs> there are the Kleenex boxes. Yeah, they the are box. um, yeah. regularly utilize yeah i'm sure would you um sit on the floor like if needed just kind of like informal kind of like 
follow their lead. Like if your patient or client, however word you use, is on the floor, would you follow them on the floor too, especially a kid or something? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, largely consider myself like a, a person-centered therapist. Mm. And so that means that like there's no... Or I, I try my best for there to be no power dynamic. Yes. It's not, um, I'm the expert, here are all the answers. It's very much that, like, each person knows the most about their own story. My job is to kind of help them figure out kind of how to put the pieces together or maybe um, give suggestions of things that they might be missing or that they hadn't considered and we kind of like work together to kind of like build a new plan or build kind of what they want to work through mm -hmm. uh, and so it's all about kind of like feeding off of each other in that sense of like if this is what you want to do cool I'm right there with you I'm supporting you yeah uh, as opposed to kind of like the more traditional I guess I would say I'm going to sit here and be stern and you're going to yeah. do what I tell you to do. Yeah, and I don't find um, people respond to, like, so-called authority figures higher up with trauma and all that stuff can be, can be triggering. Are you willing to work with the military population? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I have kind of, I don't want to say insight, but it's like I grew up. Like, as a, as a dependent, I grew up in kind of, like, the military community with mm -hmm. friends going in and out and seeing, like, kind of the family aspect of everything and mm -hmm. that absolutely families and spouses and supporters of um, people in the military, people who formerly were in the military and now need private counseling, like, absolutely any... Mm -hmm. Any help that I can provide them, I'm, I'm willing to do. Yeah, I find it's a interesting community to be in. Like, it's, I don't know. It's definitely a um, different lifestyle. I don't think you can really prepare for it, for being a military spouse. And... I find you have to be like resilient and independent. Um, I find I was told that you have two different routines. You have a routine with your military spouse when they're around, and then you have one when they're not around. So, like me and my dog, um, we have a different routine when my partner is home. He usually takes the dog out for a walk and he's usually the like main person and then when it's just me and him we're on a different routine but me and my dog have a love-hate relationship. <laughs> he's a daddy's boy and he's super sassy so that's fun but now he's drowsy and sleeping beside me so he's a, he's a good boy. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And I find, like, when he's in the field a um, couple weeks at a time or whatever, I don't mind. I'm like, oh, 
It's a break. Like, I can do my own thing. It's wonderful. I usually do my own thing anyway, but, um, yeah, I don't mind being alone. I find that's not the case for everyone. Um, he would be like, I'm on my way home, and I'd be like, oh, already? All right, well, I guess I'm, uh... Gonna have to say goodbye to the bed to myself. We only have a double. And as a puppy, our dog would never sleep with us. And it would be like, oh, I wish Ozzy would sleep with us. Now he won't leave. So we have a double bed, me kicking and tossing and turning. And then there's my partner that's like, he, he can sleep however position. And I'm like, I wish. Um... Me, I'm super fussy, and my dog is, like, right on my legs, and he won't leave. And I'm like, oh, my God. So usually I end up on the couch <laughs> by myself, and then my dog follows me on the couch, and I'm like, no, leave me by myself. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely – we'll have to upgrade to a bigger bed. Whenever we get out of this military housing um, and we get a house, it'll be wonderful to have more space. But with the market being kind of shitty right now, it's start to have a, a house. But we'll see. We'll see. Slow progress. I know. Yeah, we've been in this little house for for a while. And I always say we have a lot of stuff, but it's more me. It's more me. Yeah, I'm like, wow, we have a lot of stuff in this house. And then my partner's like, um, no, you have a lot of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's me. It's me, especially clothes. Clothes is, yeah. is a big issue. Yeah. Yeah. Not so bad now, but it's, uh, it's my obsession. Everyone has their thing, right? Everyone has their thing. Exactly. Me, it's closed. It, it could be worse, but they uh, they aren't cheap either. So no. Yeah. Oh well. So is there anything you want to add? Um, you want to share extra or that I didn't ask or anything like that? Not necessarily. Not about me. It was making me think a little bit when you were talking about, like, having to be independent, mm -hmm. like, as a military spouse, um, that oh, the piece that I, I think I saw was missing for some people, like my friends who were military spouses, or uh, when I worked uh, PSP and just kind of talking to people that way, uh, was people not necessarily wanting to to admit or realize that just because they had to be independent doesn't mean they had to like it. Mm. Like it was okay to not like that you had to do all of that stuff for yourself and to kind of like look at that within yourself and figure out like what you need to, to do to kind of help yourself through that or what systems maybe you need to put in place, like, in case you do get to, like, a dark place, or if you need extra support or anything like that. Um, 
but kind of like that misconception of like, well, you chose this life. So like, you just kind of have to be okay with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's like, just because you, you fell in love with somebody who either like happened to be military or joined the military, even like after you met, like, doesn't mean that that's like necessarily what you wanted for your life. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. I find sometimes there's like blame there. Yeah, I know when I first met my partner, he I was alone living in an apartment. I had left an abusive relationship, and I had met him, and he was a reservist at the time, and he was gone in a lot for a lot of courses. So when we first started dating, he was gone for like 11 months, and I was like, oh my god. And he was like the only like good thing in my life at the time. And of course, I was going through all the things. I was going through the therapy, and... I had gotten uh, my cat from the SPCA. So it's like, it's me and my kitty, and I'm working by all myself. And um, I thought I had family for support, but they were very much like, um, kind of like shaming me. Like, oh, well, he's going to be gone for 11 months. And oh, make sure you don't eat the whole fridge. And oh, Leanne's going to go to the insane asylum because she won't be able to deal and there's a lot of like there's like that stigma and I was just like oh my god guys like no just go away like I put boundaries so it was super challenging and I find even like um the little things like going to the grocery store I go by myself well sometimes it's like it's nice to have my partner with me and be like, oh, this is nice. We can go get groceries. And usually he's my um, water jug carrier for the for the cooler. So it's like I can do it. I can carry the two jugs by myself, but I prefer not to. And it's like, well, if he's here, like, you know. And it's like I have to do it by myself sometimes, which, I don't know, it, it's fine. But just the, yeah, the little things. I think about that sometimes. Like, when I go, when we grow a grocery shop, I'm like, oh, this is nice. It's just, like, something little, but it's nice to do it um, together. And we don't always get that chance. So it's it's nice. Yeah. Exactly. It's just kind of the, the small things that all kind of add up that you don't necessarily realize until they're either gone or, or kind of have come back after a long way away. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because if they're gone six to eight months, you have your routine, and when then they're back, it's like you have to have another routine, and like you always have to, you always have to readjust, I find. It's like, okay, so I can't have like toast? or cereal for supper like I suppose I have to like make a meal for both of us again um or like cook together and all that stuff but I find yeah I'm in like a routine when he's not here and it's great like it's, it's lonely to come home to a empty house with like not another human I have my pets but of course it's not the same and uh, I watch a lot of TV, Netflix, and, and sleep 
Sleep is a lot of my pastime. I'm happy and just kind of living life. I was just thinking too, is like, you can tell. A therapist with the therapist lens because you just listen and you're silent. And it's okay, you know, with that, the um, active silence or active listening, whatever they call it. And then you, so it's like, oh, that's kind of nice. <laughs> it's okay to sit in silence, whatever, right, for a couple minutes. I thought, I thought that's kind of interesting of a thing I noticed. Yeah, no, it's a good, uh, good thing to pick up on. It's surprising sometimes to realize that how much that little bit of extra time does help people to collect their thoughts and actually be able to give like another kind of comment or something else of not wanting to like rush their like process. Seems like you're really well educated and versed in the topic of counseling. Definitely need more counselors. I think so anyway. Do you find the market is uh the field is saturated with counselors or do you find we need more? I find we need more more kind of of everything across the board. There are definitely more, like, counselors than there are, like, psychologists and psychiatrists. Yes. Uh, but yeah. that, kind of, especially kind of what I want to do of eventually focusing on kids, is, like, there's not enough people that are willing to see kids at all. Um, but even still, especially COVID showed us just how long the wait list for counselors for people of all ages got. Of yeah. just there were not enough counselors to meet the the demand of just how many people felt like they needed somebody to talk to. Jeez, that's sad, huh? Wow. Why do you think people don't want to chat with with kids or have sessions as much? Do you There's think more that goes into. Well, I think in general, just kids are intimidating for a lot of people. You kind of have to have the right personality to be able to to converse and interact and be interesting to to a kid because mm. if a kid doesn't think that you're like interesting and you're not able to like be engaging and hold their attention then they're really not going to care um and it's not all, not all personalities can do that and I think it's fine that people can can see that of themselves uh, and then even people who maybe would have um, the personality to, to do it don't necessarily kind of like trust or know fully kind of like what it and you can always learn on the job but I think it's just that kids end up being a little bit intimidating mm. to people or they find another like interest or kind of like specific niche of counseling or like um, population that's that's interesting to them, right? Like a, a certain um, process or, or people have a certain diagnosis or whatever that they kind of hone in on and those are the people that they like to see the most. Yeah, I definitely think you need a specific type of personality, maybe a mixture of like high energy too. We're trying to, I don't know, definitely... Yeah, definitely. It's either, I think, either have it or you don't, I guess. Or unless, or you can conform a lot or really well and be able to, like, follow the kid's lead, which is another 
set of skills, but yeah, that that makes sense. Interesting. And you can see that a lot too in like in general like children's programming and like activities that are put on for, for kids. It's very easy to tell who is there because they want to be working with kids and yeah. because they enjoy it and who is there because it's a job. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to be therapy, it needs to be somebody who wants to be working with kids and not just because that's the clientele that they could get. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, because it's, it's a big, uh, it's big, and I find, like, your, um, kids, it's, like, that foundational piece that'll prep them for the future, so I think that's where, you know, it, it starts, and that's, uh, super important, because you gotta do the work for them to grow into, um, you know, mature and well being and mentally mentally and physically um well adults so maybe people don't want the pressure too that could definitely be part of it of like if you're working with adults you're kind of working to undo things that have happened over the course of their life instead of being worried that you're either not going to help a kid as much as like they would need to be helped to be set up well in their life or that you would like do more harm to them. Yeah, exactly. It's an interesting, yeah. Yeah, just like that. I'm like, oh. Which, yeah, could be. Maybe they're like, well, if we fuck up the kid now, that's it. That's 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 what we got. And we got to wait till they're, um, till they're uh, older. But, yeah, there's a lot of, like, the adults and the youth piece. It's like, yeah, undoing the trauma or helping them cope given coping skills and all that stuff and instead of instilling different skills and giving them love and all that stuff huh interesting oh the human brain and all of the stuff is like so complex the psychology of it i guess it comes back to geez yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I was just recently taking a course on kind of like the development of the brain and like current brain research and how it applies to, to play therapy. Yeah. And it was really interesting to mm-hmm. kind of think about how many things there are that affect how the brain grows and develops. Absolutely. Did you, um, I'm sure you've learned about the, uh, ACEs, the childhood, uh, adverse childhood experiences. Yeah, that's super interesting yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a huge field of any number of things that can impact them. And like, even if it's the exact same situation, it's still not going to like it's not going to affect two different kids the same way Mm. and kind of like pulling all that apart and dissecting like what was their environment and everything is crazy it would be interesting if um you could just bubble wrap all of these kids and be like 
no harm shall be done to you. But that's not reality, unfortunately. And then you're stuck with all of this trauma and, you know, people can't cope and vulnerabilities and, oof, it's very complex. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. And it's like, I was just thinking the other day, people who wish, like, world peace and everyone would be free of homelessness and free of trauma and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, that'd be great. But then people also wouldn't have jobs to deal with these people. Like, this is what our jobs are. And, you know, so it's like, well, yeah, that'd be great. But then we wouldn't have any, any clients or people to work with. So which is kind of sad, too. No fix will ever work for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's all different, for sure. Yeah. Well, I suppose. Well, yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> chat for for an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hopefully, it'd be nice if we could uh, have some people get referred to you and I'm sure someday word of mouth um, you'll see more and more clients which is interesting and keep you busy I'm hoping so yeah kind of word getting out there kind of slowly mm -hmm. over time which is largely to be expected nice to kind of ease into everything as well not just yeah. kind of start running a mile yeah exactly right. you don't want to burnout or anything wouldn't be do you have anything else you would like to add i think that was kind of all i was i'm trying to rack my brain at the same time too but i'm not thinking immediately of everything else but kind of same as you it was like eight o'clock hits and my brain goes are we i know are we right? done yeah all right well i will let you go let you relax well i appreciate you having me on and getting to have this yeah chat and definitely you let me get my name out there a little bit and mm -hmm. seeing where it goes. Well, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Yeah, well, you have a great night. Yeah, you too. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I would like to give a big shout out again to Alicia for having her on my first interview episode. It was super brave of her and I appreciate her taking the time. And I also want to give a big shout out to the audience. Thank you so much for being here and giving this episode a listen. I think it's super important to give these types of resources out there and education is power. The more education we have, the better we can um, make informed decisions. So um, I would also like to give you guys a reminder to go like, share, and follow Coffee and Crime with a Military Wife on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also find these episodes on Anchor or Spotify. Um, I really cannot do this without you guys. Word of mouth is absolutely everything. The more traction we can get and the more eyes on the pages that I have out there, the better.
I would like to give a big shout out again to Alicia for having her on my first interview episode. It was super brave of her and I appreciate her taking the time. And I also want to give a big shout out to the audience. Thank you so much for being here and giving this episode a listen. I think it's super important to give these types of resources out there and education is power. The more education we have, the better we can um, make informed decisions. So um, I would also like to give you guys a reminder to go like, share, and follow Coffee and Crime with a Military Wife on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also find these episodes on Anchor or Spotify. Um, I really cannot do this without you guys. Word of mouth is absolutely everything. The more traction we can get and the more eyes on the pages that I have out there, the better. So, Um, I would also like to give you guys a reminder to go like, share, and follow Coffee and Crime with a Military Wife on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also find these episodes on Anchor or Spotify. Um, I really cannot do this without you guys. Word of mouth is absolutely everything. You can send me an email anytime at coffeeandcrimewithamilitarywife at outlook.com. The email will also be in the show notes. Sometimes it can be a little scary to tell your story out there, but um, there's always an option where I could read your stories anonymously so people won't know who you are. That way you are protected, but then your story is still heard and maybe someone is struggling with the same thing. maybe someone is struggling with the same thing so you never know right sometimes it's beneficial to have your story out there and that way you know that you're not alone Um, so again i would like to thank you and i will see you guys next time